You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello, my little surf splendorers. Uh, this is your host, David Scales, as always. And I got to use my inside voice right now because my wife is asleep in the other room. But this was the only two minutes that I had spare to record this where I was somewhat alone anyways. Um, so anyways, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for being here as always. Just the short kind of bullet points. Rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps grow the show. Also, engage on our website if you want to be a part that's kind of become a cool little community where people give really interesting comments um, and insight that they have into things that we talk about on the show that I don't necessarily have. We had a comment recently from South Korea about the burgeoning surf scene there, which I was compelled by. They posted a YouTube link, so I'll mention that to Scott today on the show that we can so we can discuss it a little bit more. And that's really it. This is just your reminder that even though Scott and I are having this conversation today, it really, that's just the jumping off point. We encourage you to get involved and share your opinions and insight. And I think that's really kind of the benefit of this platform is that it's long form, but it's also communal. So get involved. And then on social media at Surf Splendor is the other way to find us, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, Twitter. So thank you for that. I hope that you enjoyed today's show. I will be back at the end to sign us off. Thanks. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, guy, down the line, Surf Talk Radio, Scott Bass, David Lee Scales, on this Tuesday, March 3rd, 2015. And David, we had snow on the beach at uh, your home spot yesterday. That was amazing. How insane was that? I've never seen that in my life, dude. I don't, I think it's a one every hundred year type deal. I mean, crazy. I actually didn't witness it in person. I went into work and then started looking through Instagram and saw one of my good friends, Derek Peters, um, in all the photos. He was like the only guy surfing basically, but it technically wasn't snow. I guess it was hail because the water and air temp was like 58 Fahrenheit, which isn't nearly cold enough to snow, but hailstorm. So for the listeners, uh, Huntington Beach, obviously Southern California right there at the pier where a lot of surfing competition history has gone down. Yesterday, uh, the hailstorm that David's talking about hit hard Huntington Beach. The beach literally covered with, when you look at the images online, and I'm sure some of you have seen them, it looks like it could be snow. So it's kind of got a neat blanket of white. It's a blanket of white along the entire beach up to the waterline. looks like something you would see from um, a photo of Maine or something like that. Mm -hmm. So um, very unique and um, a weather anomaly here in Southern California. When I left my house uh, in the morning, it was sunny and raining, which was also very weird. You know, it's like it was sunny outside and I heard something on the roof. I'm like, oh, that's like what's that's like a rain noise, but it's sunny outside. And then I glance out the window and sure enough, it's raining. So just really an odd day all the way around. Of course, any weather in Southern California is a big deal. So when a cloud appears, you know, we all pull off to the side of the road and take a peek, take pictures. iPhone shots. Um, I got a couple of things. Multiple, uh, three people specifically this past week required 
that I force you to actually bring a kook and duke to the show. The good news is I have a kook and duke for okay. this show. I've already produced a kook and duke. So No joke. Three no different j- people, one in person, two in through emails. We're like, what's the deal with Scott? He invented the duke That's and true. kook concept. That's true. And he just phones it in <laughs> every time. And I apologize. Um, All right. But good. I do have one now. and uh, Okay. Well, I'll save it for the end of the Those three guys might be one of either the kook or the duke for oh. all I know. Well, yeah. then that would indicate that you didn't have it before the show. Oh, well. That would indicate you just came up with it right now. Well, let's just uh, let's let those guys kind of hang on the vine here for a little bit. Uh, let them worry for the next hour that they may become. Exactly. Well, I call them dukes, personally. <laughs> <laughs> that seals their fate, then. From listener John Cantorini, he said, Last night on my way home from work, I listened to the podcast where you and David were talking about the boards you were currently riding. Great stuff. I was screaming at my radio, what about the Von Sol Flying Manta? Many thanks to you two for a great podcast. So, John, thank you from David and I. We're People love that Von Sol Manta, and Sean Madison came in and talked about it a, a year ago, I think. He's the shaper, obviously. And I've heard like more talk about that board than probably any other board since then. Well, I have one, yeah. you know, and... Um, and you know, the board goes fast. I don't want to sit here and say it's not a great board, but me personally, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, it's a lot of width and a lot of speed, but I was having problems getting the board to go up the wave face yeah. sort of vertically. Like like we talked about at the last show, when you see a spot on the wave and you want to go there with your board and it goes there sort of naturally, mm-hmm. if you, that's kind of like the the foundation for at least a magic board, right? Sure. And I would find that there's so much width in the nose on that flying uh, Manta that when I wanted to go up and hit vertically at like, say, 11 o'clock, um, it, there was a sticking point there. Yeah. Now, um, you know, Sean would probably say, hey, the board's not meant to do that. It's meant for flying down the line, uh, you know, from point A to point B um, in really crappy waves and really mushy waves. It's got plenty of speed mm-hmm. and width to do that. And he's right. The board's fast. You know, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy the board. I'm just saying yeah, no, I'd love it. to have a little bit of up the wave face mobility. If it's knee high and and um, sloppy, you can ping and pong around and go real fast, then it's probably yeah. the best solution, right? Yeah, it's a great solution for that. And and, and again, I have one and I ride it. And yeah. My son rides it and he loves it and well, it's all good. A listener's, he just said he loved that segment. I get a lot of feedback about when we talk about boards too. People love hearing about the boards that we're riding. The reason why I don't promote it more frequently is I don't ride that many different boards from within a two week period You know that we record this show. Like, I don't have a huge quiver of boards like yourself. I mean, yeah. you could talk no, at I length. Know. I, I, I do ride a lot of different boards. I mean, there's there's periods of time, especially in the summer, when I don't ever ride the same board twice, mm. you know, because... Must be nice, dude. You wake up, and it's a day for nose riding, and then the next day you're looking at the beach break, and you're riding your little, you know, your little shortboard contemporary ripper model, and then the next day, you know, maybe... You're on the inside at some reef and one of your fishes or the Von Sol Flying Manta comes into the picture. And then another day, it's the 11-foot glider. And it just it just constantly is changing, you know. And, and it's kind of a it's a wonderful thing to be able to have that many boards at your fingertips and to have the varying quality and quantity of waves in San Diego that I have. Lifestyles of the rich and famous, man. <laughs> I just thought Hopping we your I thought yacht you wanted to the talk next of- spot. <laughs> so I, I wrote a board um, three times in the past two weeks that I would like to talk about real quickly before you get to your next emails, which is a hot curl 
that I borrowed from Josh Martin. I had him on the show over a year ago and he talked about the hog curl design and his dad making it and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was the first surfboard that his dad ever shaped actually among the 80,000 that his dad is attributed to have shaped Terry Martin with Hobie surfboards. So he had told me about this hot curl and he was like, dude, if you ever want to get one, let me know. I'll let you borrow it just so you could try. And I just didn't for a year. And then out of the blue, I forget what prompted it, but I reached out to him and I'm like, Hey dude, there's going to be some lack of swell in the forecast. That might be the right board for me to try. So I swung by, picked it up and, um, Surfed it three times. The last time was actually at Rincon this past week when it was like knee high. Wasn't particularly good, but what an interesting surf experience. Like I would not have even paddled out there on any other board really. Maybe a long board, but it's like it has so to, for listeners who don't know, the board, the deck is all is completely flat, but the bottom has like a hull like a boat belly almost at the bottom nose of the board and it kind of cradles under the water. So rather than planing across the surface of the water, it actually sits in the water and plows through it essentially. And then it comes into a lot of V in the tail, real narrow tail with a lot of V real pronounced, but no fin. So the V kind of works almost like a fin, almost, not really. It still slides a lot um, side to side if you stand on it, it's almost like a canoe where it kind of tips back and forth. So it takes um, quite a bit of getting used to and just that sensation of plowing through the water rather than planing. And the way that Josh told me about it was like, you see dolphins or seals body surfing behind a wave. They're tapping into the energy source that's under the wave rather than what's pushing on the wave surface. And that always stuck with me uh, conceptually. But then once I was on the board, I had to remind myself that that's what it was doing. You instinctively want to find trim in the wave when you're on the board. And at Rincon long, right, it's like set up and then you kind of start to try to trim high on the wave and the board kind of slips down the wave's face if you do that. And really where it wants to be is at the bottom of the wave and almost out in front of where you would normally be. So once I kind of figured that out, then it's just a matter of like getting low, positioning towards the bottom, off almost out in the flats of the wave, and then the thing just points like an arrow and goes straight super duper fast. And you just get low and hang on, you know? Really interesting, really different, crazy. Uh, Have you ridden one? No, I've never ridden a hot curl. Um, They're they're an interesting design. Uh, Tom Wagner once told me that he thought that... um, the hot curl was sort of like a tipping point in surfboard design. In other words, when the hot curl came out, it was before there was fins and they were trying to figure out how to turn the boards a little better. So they go, oh, let's put this, you know, this basically it's a ton of V at the tail. That's what, that's what determines whether it's a hot curl or not is all of this V at the end of this wooden board and a narrow tail, as you mentioned. And um, Wagner's theory is what if Blake never invented the fin? You know, at the time, Board designers were looking at boats, and the boats didn't have fins. Right. You know? And um, Wagner is like, where would we be today if we never ad- adopted the fin? You know? And the hot curl, what, what if we took, in other words, there was a path in the road, a fork in the road, mm-hmm. if you will, and it was the fin or it was the hot curl, and continuing the finless excursion, designing boards that we could surf on without fins. And for whatever reason, um, we took the path that had the fin on it. 
And we went there and Tom was always sort of romantically pondering what if, you know, what yeah. if we went the other path? Where would we be today? Would we still be riding finless surfboards? Probably looking a lot like what, you know, or something similar to what Derek Hind is doing and some of the other guys that ride finless craft. Deep channels. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And that could be argued. Well, that's fins. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, pragmatically, we could argue, look, we'd eventually get to the fin, you know, let's be real. Um, but, you know, from Tom's point of view, it's, it's sort of an interesting thought to sort of think about, like, where, you know, how long would it have been yeah. before we went to the fin design? And what does that mean for us, the way we surf, the way we perceive what good surfing is and all of that? Well, the, the surfers eventually figured out riding those boards that if you'd kind of dip your toe off the rail into the water, it would then adjust your line and help you turn like a fin would. And I didn't ride the board long enough to become proficient at that. But what I found myself <laughs> doing naturally was it was hard to paddle into a wave in an angle because the tail would start sliding down the face. So I'd paddle into the wave straight, kind of straight into it. And once I got up and low, I would just drag my hand in the inside rail of the water just instinctually. I didn't even realize I was doing it till after the fact, but just dragging my hand slightly would then adjust to the board along kind of the length of the wave and then I could just point straight at the end and go fast but just tracking my hand a little bit in the wave face allowed that subtle turn that I needed and I I know that there's some great footage out there of of Bonga Perkins oh really? they did a little experiment they did like a hot curl experiment and Jim Phillips and some others made hot curls um but made them you know to the specifications of you know 1915 or 1920 or whatever it was right um, and and Bonga and some other guys, um, I can't remember who else it was, but but Bonga went out there and just tore it apart, like Did he? big Haleiwa, like six to eight foot Haleiwa no on way. an eleven foot hot curl. No way. And you know, I, most of that speaks to the tremendous talent that Bonga Perkins has as a water person. That guy sure. can ride anything. But um, but certainly we can look. You could YouTube and we could scour that up and maybe post it on surfsplendorpodcast.com and uh, downlineradio.com and show Bonga ripping on a hot curl. Yeah, I saw Jed Knoll recently and I was talking to him about it and he's built three hot curls for, for Wingnut. Wingnut. I've seen those. Those are really beautiful boards. Yeah. And um, I tell you what, when you see the ones Jed's done, Jed's thinned them way down. Right. So they're thin, which really speaks to where we would have gone if we took that path. We would have thinned it way out. Yeah. So those those actually look really neat and really sexy. And I, I remember being in, at Jed's um, shaping room there and, and just being real close to going, Jed, make me one. You right. know? Like, but, but, you know, yeah. the price tag or just, you know, the thought of me coming home with another board and looking at my wife probably just made me not. But <laughs> I would love to ride the one of the two. He made two of them. Three. The, three of them. Well, then I'd like to ride number three because I'm sure that's the real refined More one. More modern version. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if that's lurking around at Jed's place. I don't know. They got the dimensions for the original one off some of the boards here at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. The original hot curls. He, they came in here, measured them up, felt what they feel like, and then went back to the shaping bay to try to recreate. Well, you know, what a great segue. We are broadcasting from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. And you know what? You're right. We have in our presence right now, David, you know, over probably 250 surfboards with a chronological timeline, every single surfboard from every era and a great place to come and do this type of research that Jed Knoll mm -hmm. did with with Wingnut. And um, 
I'd like to see, I'd like to ride one of those boards. Today would be a real fun day to do that. Mm. Tide's dropping fast. We could go to San Onofre, get the low tide afternoon session on a Tuesday. There's not going to be anyone down there. But there is New South Swell in the water. Mm. And if it stays uh, relatively glassy, it'd be a fun day to go for a surf. I wish I could join you, but since you and I only see one another within these four walls, I don't think that would be prohibited. Or I don't think that would be allowed, I should say. Oh, my God. We have to go surfing together at some point so that you can terrorize me and I can terrorize you. I like just... Uh, you know, Imagining that you're yeah. going to ride past me and spray me with your fast cut back. Exactly. And laugh at me and point. Exactly. <laughs> and claim it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so what else? You got well, more listener um, you know, following up on the last episode, you know, I, I was ranting and raving about how the WSL would be wise to follow the NBA and get involved with, with fantasy sports, cash for cash businesses. And... Um, Lo and behold, they're already out there, as we suggested there would be, that, that I'm sure there's somebody doing this. FantasyActionSportsLeague.com allows you to, to get a buddy or get 10 buddies and wage your money and, um, and join a league, and you know you could win 1000 bucks. Yeah. So these are out there. Um, I'm still playing FantasySurfer.com. I'm in your le- our league, right? Yeah. S- Surf Splendor. Yeah, we launched that last show, and there's been 137 uh, members sign up uh, when I looked at it last this morning. And then I'm in a private clubhouse with a bunch of friends of mine, and we have 20 guys, 21 guys, and we each throw um, 200 bucks at it. And then after each event, there's like a hundred and something bucks that gets divvied out to the winner. And then at the end of the season, there's an overall season winner as well. And that's basically what Fantasy Action Sports League does for you. If you don't have 20 friends, you can just go against somebody you don't know. It allows you to just throw money at a guy and go, yeah, I can beat this guy, you know? And that's something that Surf Splendor's club should think about doing. I don't know if you saw my rant on your on the forum on there. I did and I agree. Let's do it. About, you know, but it's it's sort of hard to do with a bunch of anonymous guys in your clubhouse no, because I figured it out. Okay, good. Okay, you suggested I create a PayPal account and everybody chips in 10 bucks and at the end of each event winner takes all. <coughs> so, potentially 1300 in 70 bucks based on the right. number of people that are in right. the club. So I like that. I'll do it. I'll set up the account. I didn't do it before this show, but I'll do it before the next uh, WCT event. Right. Which is that Margaret? Or? I think it's Bells and then Margaret this time. Okay. They switched. So the we'll order. start that before Bells. Yeah. And the way that I'll do it is I'll set up the account, give listeners, you know, the email address. You go on to PayPal, you search an email address, you contribute 10 bucks to this thing. With your contribution, you have to put your fantasy surf handle so that I can identify the winner at sure, the end of it. Sure, sure, sure. And then I'll, um, I'll be the treasurer, and then at the end of it, the winner gets all, winner takes all. You should probably take some sort of um, administration fee just to, for the hassle of it all. You know, maybe think about whatever you think is a fair amount. But I don't, I don't think anyone would argue with the fact that it's nice of you to set that up and do that. Well, I'm going to win the thing, so I, would, I don't want to take my <laughs> oh own my administration key. Oh, fee. my God. It's on. It is on like By dark. the way, How I much would, is it now to, to do this? Is it $10 an event? Well, like, yeah, you, you said 10 I'm yeah. cool with 10 Okay, so that, how many more events? Per person. Are there nine more events? So it's 90 well, no, bucks? no, let's just do per event, though. Oh, per event. Just okay. chip in 10 bucks per event. Okay, well, that's a little harder. It's better if you just do one lump sum. Yeah. And that that way you know who's in and you're either in or you're not in. But we might get new listeners 
two right. months from now right. that want to participate then. Right. So let's just do it per event. Right. And if only 10 people contribute, then that's fine too. But if you want to do all of the events, could you pay for all of the events right now? Like if I just wanted to give you 90 bucks to cover all nine events, could I do that and not have to worry about remembering everything? Yeah, I suppose you could and I can just manage that detail. Yeah. All as the treasurer, yeah. part of my administration, I right. will take care of that. Right. I looked at your stats for last year. Call you Madoff. <laughs> Six months from now, I'm not showing up to yeah. podcasts anymore. Yeah. He's on a trip to in Mexico. <laughs> so, um, anyways, I um, the the website is fantasysurfer.com. Go to clubs, search Surf Splendor. So, for listeners who want to join, um, by the way. Um, I looked at your fantasy team from last season to compare to mine to see who did better. God. You did slightly better than I did. Uh, I was very sad to I see. I can't it. believe you drilled down. You got involved. Like 50 points better. See, when you were doing that, I was surfing. That's the difference between you and I. Oh, I guess so, dude. <laughs> oh, ching. I was doing it while I was at work, pretending to actually work. Oh, my God. You're one of those. Yeah. You must have a county job. No. <laughs> so um, I was a little bit better than your team. A little bit better. What were the... Like negligible amount? No, or? I had like 740 points and you had 780 or something like that. Right. So it's close. but yeah. Well, um, before we get into that, I'd like to go into this, which is, I think, a very heartwarming story. Maui surfers come to the aid of a grieving mother. Mm, I'm not I do sure not if know you this saw story. this. No, no. well, so um, the mother and the son um, watched some movie where it, in the movie there was a paddle out for a, a fallen surfer at Hukipa Beach in Maui. And this mother and the son, they're from Germany. At some point, while they were talking about the movie, the son said, Hey, mom, you know, if I ever pass away before you do, I'd, I'd want to be my um, ashes scattered at Hukipa Beach on Maui. Wow. And she goes, okay, whatever, and didn't think much of it. And then like a year later, the son died in a tragic snowboard accident. Wow. So the mother flew to Maui with her son's ashes, wrote a handwritten note basically saying, hey, basically telling the story I just told. My son really, his last wish, you know, his wish was, not his last wish, but his wish was to have his ashes scattered at Hukipa Beach on Maui. Um, in a, a memorial, you know, like a surfer paddle, a traditional surfer memorial paddle. And um, she, so she posted this handwritten letter. and Posted um, it where? At Hukipa Beach. She like just went there and a, posted yeah, a hard just, copy? Yeah, hard copy. Wow. On, on, with a picture of her son, you know, like a, you know, an 8 by 11 piece of paper. And um, Maui, some Maui lifeguards and some surfers saw it and went, oh, that's pretty cool. And they posted it on Instagram and kind of said, you know what, we should do this. You know, we should show this this you know, grieving mother, what Aloha is all about, you know? And so, um, um, you know, basically, I'll, I'll give you a little hint of how the note read. She said, so here I am now. I'm looking for surfers to help me with this celebration on the water for my son, Johannes. If I touched your heart in any way and you have time to do this, I invite you to come. And so, like I said, Maui surfer saw this. They spread it on Instagram. One of the guys wrote, Mike Stew, who's a surfer and a photographer over there, wrote, I've never met this guy in my life, but one of his dreams was to get his ashes spread at Hukipa somehow. That's crazy. And if you grew up at Ho'okipa, you know how much that place means to us. And this guy wanted his final remembrance to be there. Let's show this guy what it's like to see it from heaven. Tomorrow we go, boys. And that was on Mike's Instagram. And over 100 surfers showed up and paddled out and put this nice German lady on the back of a jet ski. Took her out there. She spread the ashes. They had a full traditional holding hands 
traditional surfer paddle out memorial for this guy. So a great story, and uh, my hats are off to those Maui surfers. Well done. Where'd you find that story? Um, it's all over the internet. You know? Oh, okay. I, it was I don't one know of those... how I missed it then. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I got an email or a comment on the website, actually, surfsplendorpodcast.com, saying, hello from South Korea. I am surfing in a place where surfing was unheard of less than five years ago, so the surf culture is still very new and developing. Although shops and brands are jumping onto the growing surf scene in Korea for money, there are absolutely no publications that carry surf culture, news, photos, etc. to the depth that you guys have. The existence of both Down the Line and and Surf Splendor talk shows have allowed me to dive deeper into surf culture of the past and present, and I am thankful for that. Um, oh, and here's a link to us surfing on a day on the east side of the peninsula, just in case you were curious. So I have that YouTube link. It's really interesting, actually. They get really good waves. Um, and then he said, P.S., I have a question for you. The ASP qualifying series event was held in Korea before. Do you know what year it was or where it was? I don't off the top of my head, no. I Googled it. Uh, Jeju Island on the Republic of Korea in 2012, the ASP did a two-star event. Um, uh, men's Quicksilver Open. I, the thing is, they had a press release that they were going to host the event, but I couldn't find any information that the event was actually held. So I don't know if it didn't come together, maybe. Who knows? So. Who knows? I know that um, that whole um, Asian sort of region, you know, including China, Korea, all of that is... Um, there's a target on that region by the surf industry to tap into um, potential customers from oh, yeah. from a purely from a business standpoint. Um, you know, there's, you know, that's capitalism. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you did a story a year ago or so about um, surf in North Korea that like was you found on Google yeah. Maps or something where there's some point well, no, breaks. The, the, like the Communist Party of North Korea actually is, oh, is right. put out like a a call to tourism and they're right. like one of the great things we do here is surf you know right. and based on the google maps imaging though, that was a russian was, accent i just did i think well i don't have they're a, close i don't to have korea, a korean right? <laughs> they are so um yeah but based on the maps that you showed it was like there was some legitimate point break potential and and i've google earthed it you know and, right that's and what i mean you get involved in google earth and i'll tell you what there's some great looking setups in like Yemen mm -hmm. and, and that whole area sort of above India. Ask Chas Smith about it. Exactly. Yeah. So this video that this listener sent me, um, I'll post it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. So start Googling um, South Korea and let's let's get some pictures too. Let's do it. I mean, the listeners, I'm asking the yeah. listeners to do that. Yeah. So shout out to that listener. What's his name? Uh, I'll pull it up for you. Keep talking. I just want to say thank you for sending us the email and for listening. We love it. When we get stuff from far away like that, it's pretty cool. Yeah, totally. It seemed like he was not from South Korea based on his name. Maybe he was in the military. Yeah, Paul was his name. Yeah, right there's there. a big military presence yeah. there. So, And uh, round one of the Quicksilver Pro Snapper Rock. Should we just get My right in? My favorite topic ever. Really? Love, well, dude, I love talking about right. competition. I love it. Well, um, let me just say, and I sent you some of my notes, so you're used. You probably saw this, but I believe that Slater's first wave was way underscored. Not his first. No, of his, his first. Two scores. No, his second wave, but yeah, the first of his two scores. His first of his two scores. Yeah, Got his it. first of his two scores. Got it. Way underscored. It, it, where he did the three sixty. 
He did right. the carving 360. Have you seen anybody else do a carving 360? Like how often do you see all those radical aerialists, the super rad yeah. Felipe's, all those guys? Do you ever do see him do carving 360s? Julian Wilson, ever see him doing? Never. Never. No. Nope. There's a reason why. He did it in a really rad way too. He did do. I thought he like when you see the slow like that replay they yeah. show, it almost looks like he lost it and somehow his board came under him again. Yeah, it, it's pretty impressive. So completely underscored. I think he got like a five eight yeah. or something. Granted, got barreled he kinda, on that wave. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's you know. So what was the problem then? Tell us why is that a problem? He got underscored. It's a problem because I'm a Kelly Slater fan and no, he's on my explain. fantasy team. Like I mean, obviously it then sets off scoring for the rest well, of the yeah, event. Right. Well, why for you, the rest of the heat. Yeah, exactly. It, it, that's the baseline from which they gauge the rest of the heat from a scoring standpoint, and and. Um, it, it, it basically what it does and what I told you in my text to you is that it it means that Kelly's now hunting down a wave that he thinks has to be better than that. And, you know, in Kelly's mind, that probably should have been like a 7-2 or something, you know, like and then he's like, OK, you know, that makes sense. But when you get a 5-8 on that ride, he's going now I need a legit five foot wave to come in and do, a, you know, a series of turns that I do and, and hope to get, you know, basically he's hunting down a wave that's not going to come in. Yeah. Is what it gets down to. Sure. And the other guys, you know, I don't know. Freddie actually surfed great. Freddie Fred- P surfed incredible. And you were right about Freddie P. And I'd like to say I owe you an apology, but I don't. But I will suggest to you that, that I remember last episode you mentioned Freddie P and I just kind of didn't even listen. I just let it go through my ears. But he did look sharp. And he yeah. does look like he's like in a UFC training program. Yeah. He does look um, snappy and quick and powerful. He looks like the Freddie P we've always wanted. Like, yep. like, oh, my God, I've got kids to feed. And there's only really maybe four years, three years, two years left for mm-hmm. me. And all these kids snapping at my heels. And I don't know. I bet Freddie's like 31, 32. Probably. So he looked like um, just a hungry. Um, he looked great. And I'm I'm I'll, bummed I didn't put him on my team based on what I saw from Freddie P because he did win the heat so, rel- okay. relative to relative to everything else that I said before this. That was going to be my next question: is if Kelly got scored appropriately on that first wave, you take Kelly's best two waves, Freddie P's two waves. Who do you think should have won? Well, I don't know. I would need to see the heat again, really, to give you. An, why don't you tell me what you think? Because I I, think I can't P- even recall Kelly's second wave. I was sort of disgusted with the whole thing. Yeah. What did he get on his second wave, Kelly? I, I forget, but it was towards the end of the heat. He was in a combo situation, and it was like he got a six. A, he got a score that got him out of the combo. So I don't know what it was. So Maybe if it was seven a seven and a six, let's just say it was a seven, that's thirteen. What it, what won the heat? Do you know? Freddie had like two eights or something. Oh, okay. I mean, here's the deal. I I watched the heat and I thought Freddie won the heat, regardless yeah. of I didn't without. Yeah. Yeah, the, the that was lines. the feeling I got. It's like Freddie's two waves. He smoked the other yeah, guys. Yeah, that the was the feeling I got. Like, like, and and really, Snapper's a great place to do this. I want listeners, if you watch the next round, watch what happens at the bottom of the wave, and watch the guys that are doing a couple of little check turns, their adjustments, their little teeny rail and fin adjustments before they really get into their bottom turn. Yep, and that's what sets apart the great from the just the good yeah and the greats and freddie p is a great example of this in that last heat really great flow from turn straight to bottom turn you'll see some guys go from turn up at the top down to the bottom and a couple of little teeny like adriano de souza yeah and felipe and taj mm-hmm. um you just watch the guys that are really banging it from the bottom to the top and then straight into another turn and they're not i don't even know how to characterize what it is they do down there but it's almost like 
They skip, cut, skip, skip. A couple of skips. That's a great way to put it. It might be considered skips where they're just kind of getting everything set up for a really clean bottom turn. Right. And Freddie P was nailing. His turns just looked so buttery and flowing and just yeah. powerful and snappy. And he had sort of everything. Yeah. So uh, while we're on Freddie P, one of the fantasy surfer club members on the message board thing we got going there asked a question of, is it better to have like a really quality team that doesn't fulfill your eight person roster? Maybe have six more expensive guys on your team rather than eight guys with the less expensive. And I don't know the exact answer, but I was in that specific situation where I had six million bucks left and I had, I think, two or three spots. Maybe two spots. You can't open. even fill it with three. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe it was, you can. Maybe it was two alternates. Maybe it was two spots open. But my, my the dilemma that I was in was: Do I take one Freddy, <laughs> one Freddie P, or do I take two three million dollar surfers, Keanu Asing and Ricardo Christie? So is one Freddie P worth Keanu Asing and Ricardo Christie? Yes, because those two guys are rookies. Right. So basically, I took the two rookies, and now I'm looking at the points, and I did all the math, and the answer is. Keanu and Ricardo are in round two currently. If they lose in round two and Freddie loses in round three, it would be better to have the two lower surfers. Mm. If Freddie makes it past round three, it would be better to have Freddie. So that's how that exchange worked. So you got to look at that. Like, who are these two guys? Are the two bottom two guys going to lose in round two? Probably. Is this other guy going to make it past round three? Probably. Then take the one guy. Yeah, this question's been bandied about in fantasy surf leagues for a number of years really ever since the beginning of it and the general consensus has always been to fill out your team no matter what fill out your team get all eight guys on your team no matter what now granted it's not hard and fast but but there is that's the general consensus that that you know suggests that you do that that you're yeah. Chances are better at scoring higher with a full team. There is math, and the math works out in these specific scenarios, like the one I just gave. Like if you're sure that Kelly or whatever, whoever the guy is is going to go past round three, and you're almost certain. I'm completely those other- a gut player. Like I can tell that you're like breaking down the math. Like you've got spreadsheets out. You're probably you know consulting with MIT experts. And, I am. Yeah, yeah, I can tell. So here, I'm just saying never, right now, this is a great matchup between you and I because this is I'm just truly going off of gut feeling. Okay. And you're going off of math. And by the way, math usually wins out in these situations over the course of time. It's a new strategy for me. I used to, every other season of Fantasy Surfer, I've gone off gut. This is the first time I've actually made some tough decisions. Because in in researching these um, fantasy sports leagues that do cash and stuff like FanDuel and DraftKings and all these ones that the big leagues are using, it's been proven, like you hear about, oh yeah, this guy made $600,000. Well, the guys that are making $600,000 are literally drilling down super hard into the data yeah. and just going purely on data. Yeah. And that's the, those are the guys that are making the money and they're truly professionals at it. And they are like some geeky guy at MIT. It's right, like, they're not sports fans necessarily. Not, not, not necessarily. So I think um, it's worth talking about the crop of rookies that we're seeing this year. I think this is going to be the year of the rookie. And I've... I've been tracking all these guys. You just write them off repeatedly every time I bring up their names. No, there's one or two that I think will do good. Just like every year, there's one or two. No, last year there wasn't one or two that did good. They both got kicked off tour. Right, but I'm just saying like there might be one or two. Like You're saying it's the year of the rookie. Like How many are there going to be? 
There's four that are going to do what? All remain on tour next year. I would year? say I would say three of them are definitely going to remain on tour, and I think not only remain on tour but dethrone your beloved C.J. Hobgood and, <laughs> and even guys like Taj Burrow. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Is this is the year of the rookie? This is where things shift because number one, there's um, Matt Banning. I've talked about. He beat Mick Buttercup. Yeah, that's right. Buttercup banting. Buttercup that's banting, trending. according to Ross Williams. Hashtag buttercup banting. That is trending right now on Twitter. So he dethroned Mick Fanning. Wiggly Dantes, by the way. Hold on. First of all, let's get into this banting Mick Fanning thing. Because okay. Mick Fanning clearly was the better surfer. Now, I know you're going to say, so what? He lost on points, which he did. I was disappointed in Matt Banting's style. I thought there was a lack of style. Um. I, I would ask you to go look at the heats. Don't look at the points. Just go look at that heat. Look at the two styles. Tell me which guy you would rather have your son surf like. I'm not even going to dignify that with an answer. <laughs> Dude, you went That's in- code for your right, no, Scott. No, you went into that heat, obviously, with preconceived notions. You want to, you want I, Banning to do I want, poorly. No, I want Banning no, to do- No, you don't. Why wouldn't I? Because you're anti-me. I am not Because I stuck my flag in the ground with Banning two years ago, and every step of the way, you're like, yeah, what? tell me when he's on tour. Well, then he qualifies, and I'm like, hey, Scott, he qualifies Dude, there's been one heat. Oh, well, tell me when he the, wins a contest. There's been when one is he going to win a world There's been battle? one heat- all yes there's been one heat and you're like and he won it you've got like your banting colors no he literally I had, by the way listeners david literally has a matt banting t-shirt on right now i bought this because of him dude. <laughs> by the way here's, That's sad. here's the says, ultimate but, it says hashtag buttercup here's the ultimate hypocrisy that you will love <laughs> which is when i was picking my fantasy team i had to decide banting or fanning because they're matched up in round one and i know one of them is going to win, one's going to lose, and then they'll rematch up in round three if the loser survives round two. So Banting won round one, and then Fanning goes into round two against Dane Reynolds, who he'll smoke, obviously, and then he'll find himself matched up against Banning again in round three. Who's going to win that? i got to give it to Fanning. Okay, so I took back, Fanning up, back up a little bit, yeah. because you bring up another str- strategy um, problem for me. I know. And do you know the answer to this? Yes. How do they reseed round two? That's what I'm always wondering. Like you get all these guys in round two. What do you get? Like 12 guys in round two or something? I don't think it reseeds in round two. It's always the high seed versus the low seed, which is why the wild card, Dane Reynolds, is surfing against number two, Mick Fanning. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, 
totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So, so, so you get all of these surfers in round two, and the, does the high w versus low? The WSL takes the high, so they do reseed it. That's not reseeding, though. Well, I mean, but in other words, what I guess what I'm getting it's at predictable. is predictable. I'm, what I'm getting at is how do you know Banting's going to remain in that top bracket, that top, there's two halves of the bracket, the top six yeah. and the bottom six. Yeah. How do you know Banting's going to remain in that, that bracket that he started out in? Uh, that's just the way it works from round one, two, and three. So whoever surfs against each other in round one gets rematched up in round three. Okay, so then it is smart to separate your fantasy team based on those two brackets. That could be a strategy. Yes, that where is. four a... of your guys in the top half, yeah. four of your guys in the bottom half, and you don't have to worry about them being like um, all jammed into the right. top half of the... Okay. Right. But I'm pretty sure it gets reshuffled after round three. Into so round, in round four. four. I'm not sure how that all works out. But it must be reshuffled by seeding. Must be. That's the only way you could yeah. do it, right? Yeah. And, and at that point, you might get a little bit of mixture yeah. into different and brackets. To be honest, I'm not saying this because I've studied it and prepared for the show. I'm just pulling this off memory from what I've seen happen in the past. Yeah. So I could be totally wrong, and I'm sure we'll get emails if I am. Yeah. But I'm. But that was the decision I made when putting my team together was, I believe Fanning's going to win this event, and I would love to have uh, Banting on my team as well because I think he'll make it pretty far. Oh, except for the fact that he's coming up against Fanning. So who do I have to pick between Fanning and Banting? I got to go Fanning. Even though I love Banting, I can't have him on my team because Fanning's going to beat him in round three. Because Banting's a buttercup. Whatever, dude. Say what you want. <laughs> hey, you, you stuck your claim. I'm just trying to have fun. Yeah, well, you stuck your... I didn't claim CJ as my... I, I got the tweet to prove it. What does it say? It says, I love CJ and I wish I could have his kids. That's <laughs> oh what you God, said. That is such bullshit. That is what you said, <laughs> that dude. That is such bullshit. That's a good Saw one. Saw you guys taking selfies together <laughs> last time. One. That is a good one. I actually... Here's, here's what's what? funny is I actually kicked CJ off my team. I put Matt Wilkinson on my team at the last minute. Probably a good call. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so back back to the conversation at hand. Okay, um, Dane. No, or do you want to continue with Buttercup? No, dude, I want to talk okay, about Dane. Dane. Dane is so Big. pregnant. That guy is so pregnant. Dude, it was bad. And then, by the way, he is on my team. It was bad. He's on my team too, unfortunately. I had these big, grandiose visions of him getting tell his me, shit together. Tell me about Dane. What happened? For listeners well, who didn't see Dane, like what Dane happened? was in a heat with two Brazilians, Wiggly and Gabe Medina, right? Yeah. Those guys absolutely smoked him. By and the Dane way, just they looked went like blow for blow. Medi uh, Wiggly, yeah, Wiggly looked no, no. incredible. We can get to that in a minute. Yeah. Wiggly's one of my rookies that I think has potential. By the yeah. way, when you said this is yeah. the year of the rookie, I'm calling bullshit on that. Okay. But I do think there are some that can do well, and I think Wiggly Dantas is one of them. Mm -hmm. And you probably saw I put out a, a tweet before the event. Who is this on guy? On Instagram. Like, you better know who this guy is. No, I thought you were saying, who is this guy? Like, why is this guy on Twitter? In a facetious way, I was. Ah, you're backpedaling, dude. No, I'm not. You were totally back. Wow. You had no idea who he was. Yeah, I took the picture. What do you mean I knew who he yeah, was? Yeah, because you're like, who's this guy who's on tour now? And no, then no. everybody was like, yeah, no, that no. guy rips. Wiggly, Wiggly. I've known about Wiggly. Yeah. 
I've known about Wiggly. Wiggly, okay. Piggly Wiggly. It's a store in the go southeast. Go ahead, Dane Reynolds. What did he look like? Dane Reynolds looked like crap. He looked yeah. like disinterested. He looked like the same old Dane. He looked like he was there because Quicksilver wanted him there. Yeah. He looked like he didn't even want to even attempt to surf against those guys to make himself look even worse. So he sort of just, he did such a half-hearted effort that it was almost like, I don't want to give my real effort because then people will really see that yeah. I'm not in this league anymore. Yeah. Um, look, we all know that Dane can be in that league. He's just mentally... At the end of the day, I was thinking about this today. There's guys that are just soft. There's guys that are soft. Yeah. You got to be cutthroat to be You got to be cutthroat to be a world champion yeah. surfer. You know who's soft? I think Jordy's soft. I don't think Jordy will ever be a, pro, a world champion. He's not as soft as Dane, but there's guys that are soft. I think Taj is soft. I don't think... Well, we know Taj is never going to be a world champion. Yeah. Definitely not. There's guys that are just soft. So here's what happened. Dane sat for half the heat or maybe 10 minutes of the heat waiting for a good wave. While he was doing that, the two more cutthroat competitors got small waves, got sixes, then they got sevens, then they got eights against one another. All the while, Dane's out the back going, holy crap, I wasn't feeling pressure before, but now I am. So then when the wave comes, he buckles under the pressure and blows it, you know, like does a little float, does a little turn and doesn't connect it. And like, bang, that's it. He gets a two. And now the other guys are getting eight fives and nines and Dane's left in the dust. Well, as you know, there's a theory out there in Instagram, social media world that basically says Dane thinks that getting comboed means that he gets a combo meal from McDonald's, extra fries, extra drink, extra Big Mac. That's why he's always getting comboed. Somebody needs to slap him and tell him that's not what it's all about. I love it, dude. That, how good was that? That was all time. It was all time. So when Dane hears, this is what the quote was. When Dane hears, quote, you're in a combo situation from the announcers, he thinks it means he's going to get a cheeseburger and burrito combo meal along with children's menu pamphlet with crayons to do crappy drawings on after the heat. That's why he tries to get comboed every heat. Somebody's uh, like, wait, Dane was in the comp? <laughs> And then somebody else goes, poor Dane, must have misunderstood when Quicksilver, was, Quicksilver told him he'd be up against some, quote, heavyweights of surfing. <laughs> yeah, he thought he was in the heavyweight division. Exactly. Got yeah, it. that's classic. Thank you, social media. No oh, man. Um, so anyways, Dane, nobody cares about Dane. Hey, hey if Dane doesn't I care, care about Dane. No, if Dane doesn't care, we don't care. That's what it all yeah, comes down to. Yeah, but sadly, it's sort of spiraling into a... Into a place that it shouldn't even be like it's 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 borderline um starting to feel sorry for him yeah we don't want to see muhammad ali step back in the ring this weekend he's so you know what i mean pregnant so what do they do uh i don't know i don't keep tabs on um that. dusty Payne. do you have him on your team i do i do three million bucks greatest greatest pick value ever. maybe three five and that speaks to these back half of the guys yeah. on your fantasy team there's yeah. great values dusty Payne's one of them well, Dusty coming up against Felipe Toledo and whoever else Felipe it was. Felipe Toledo looked like he was on crystal meth. <laughs> Didn't he? Did you see he, that heat? He was he just like nonstop, like catching the crappiest waves, but like and just like huffing and puffing. And Are you starting looked, a rumor here? About, no, no. I'm just saying oh, okay. the way he surfed the heat, he yeah, was way too frenetic. I agree. He just needed to calm down. And the, I thought he was just that, like, he was just like, I'm not going like, to. He, he caught like 10 waves in five minutes and they were all threes. Yeah. I'm feeling anxious just listening to you now. I, I feel like I thought that would benefit him. I was like, dude, Felipe's going to, the waves are small and crappy. Felipe's going to get a bunch and do like sixes and sevens and put everybody on the ropes. He's trying too Dusty hard. came out with a set wave and put those kids He looked like a man. Shame. They did look like kids. I was blown away. It was remnant of Holly Eva when he won there. Reminiscent. Reminiscent of Holly Eva. 
Eva being double overhead. He was doing these power turns on waist high waves that was so beautiful to watch. And talk about flow. You were talking about earlier exactly. connecting bottom he turn to top flow. turn. Boom, so beautiful to watch. Undeniable. And this brings me to style. Like I sent you a thing that style needs to be more incorporated and people always kind of step back and go, well, you can't do that, it's subjective. But you can do that because the really good style doesn't have that those two little skip turns at the bottom before the bottom turn. Right. And that's really what we're talking about. What happens between the turns? Yeah, absolutely. Where is their body positioning? Do they look like they're in, you know, cahoots with the wave or not? Well, I saw I went from one heat that I thought was great to then watching the next heat and Adriano de Souza caught a wave. Hideous. It shocked my system, dude. It was hideous. It completely and I don't I'm not even against Adriano. No. It was just you don't even have to know surfing to go from watching the beautiful lines that Dusty was drawing to then that where he's doing the skippy thing on the bottom and trying to jump into the lip to hit it and it's like oh, oh it's just disgusting. There was a offensive. bunch of guys do trying too hard and, and Felipe and Adriano and Taj and Jeremy Flores Although Jeremy had a pretty neat last wave, but those guys were just trying too hard. Yeah. And uh, and it showed. And I think style needs to be... I remember I interviewed Rabbit when Rabbit was the president of the ASP, and we talked at length about style because Rabbit had the best style ever. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how important style was and that it can't get lost, but you also have to... You know, there is a subjective nature to it, you yeah. know, too, from the judging standpoint. But, you know, if we're just going to judge based on maneuvers on waves and not incorporate style into the judging criterion then you know we're, we're in a bad place well i have um to kind of back up your point about matt banning versus mick fanning fanning or banting got the better two waves and deserved to win that heat but at Mick's the one wave was... at the end of the heat mick got one wave and his ability level is light years ahead of not only Matt Banning's, of course, but Buttercup, a, but again, it's light years above almost anybody that surfs snapper. You watch the tightness of the arcs that he's drawing, both off the bottom and off the top. It is remarkable. Like I was blown away, and he's surfing better than he's ever surfed before. Just I'd encourage listeners to go back and watch that last wave. It was in round one. I think he got a nine three seven for it, and it. It's a he doesn't cover a lot of ground. He surfs a short period, but it's just bang, 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 bang. But it's more power, and again, tightness. If you counted the degrees in the turn, like it's crazy the tightness of the arc that he draws. Crazy yeah. Yeah. and speed and power. It's just nuts. So, anyways, the other detail I want to talk about: Wiggly and um, um, uh, Gabriel Medina's heat. Gabriel Medina, Brazilian world champ last year carving a new path for all these young guys they've watched him come up through the ranks he's required this new crop of brazilians to be their best like they have no other option so wiggly comes into this heat and wiggly brings a brand new level of a game that we haven't seen out of a out of a rookie before in terms of consistency a lot of old school power style approach but i think him Gabriel requiring him to bring his best, he brought it, delivered on the goods. He had Gabriel up against the wall in that heat. He was winning that heat. It required Gabriel to find a new gear as well. I thought Wiggly was going to win that heat, and I'm like, holy crap, I didn't think anybody could put Gabriel up against the ropes. And then Gabriel thought, oh, really? Now I've got to turn it on and surf my best as if this was a final and not round one. And then Gabriel did that huge tail whipping maneuver that only Gabriel can do, or maybe John John as well, but Wiggly can't. And so then it's like, 
We're seeing them go blow for blow. This is the top level of the sport in round one. This is what we need. This is what we want. Only the young guys bring that type of crap. Like, it was exciting. And Dane was calling in a cheeseburger. Exactly. Well, you're right. You know, the thing about Wigley is that he seemed to thrive in that moment. He didn't let that moment affect him at all. Right. Your first heat as a rookie on tour against the world champion. And he was extremely comfortable and looked like he belonged. And that was a great sign. And and um, which is why you know, and I'm, I've been high on Wigley for a long time. Shut up, dude. It's so not true. And by the way, that's something American, the American youth athletes need is like, those Brazilians, they they have so much passion and drive. Americans are soft. They show up and they deliver the goods. With Our team all is the soft. pressure, I agree with you, dude. With all the pressure in the world, he shows up and he delivers. Who's not soft that's an American? Kelly, right? Yeah. And I would argue one other guy, Nat Young. Yeah. Um, and I guess, well, John John's Hawaiian, but let's just say North American. Off the top of my head, those two are good fits. And so who, who, who does that leave that's North American on tour that... Koloe, who's coming around, of course. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm on the fence. I don't want to say Koloe's soft. I, last year he was soft. No, but he had a number of years until he kicked into gear, whereas this know, kid, Wigley, shows up and it's just like Who else is soft that's North American? Sippo. Don't say it, dude. Why you gotta... Like, I know everyone loves him and I think he's a great guy, but I'm just saying like... It's you the know, people's champ. He's not a champ. <laughs> I wish he was. Believe me, nobody wants a North American squadron of guys to just set up and dominate. No, I know. He, lo- he looked he, pretty good, though. He did look good. He, he did look good. good. But you just get the feeling that he's just stoked to be there. And the idea of winning the world title doesn't even like come into the equation. I know. So round two looks like it's going to run today. So by the time listeners hear this, they'll probably have watched a little bit of round two. But they're moving the comp- contest to D-Bar. Really? Yeah. Just That's announced last night. That's very well because the forecast looks so meager. Yeah, I know. There's, there's like this really extreme south swell that's coming up from underneath Sydney. Yeah, it probably wouldn't wrap into there, but would probably hit Deba. Yep. So look forward to Deba. That's or, interesting. Or that's very interesting. Yeah. Did you watch any of the women's event? I did. I watched a little of it, um, only because I I could, not because I wanted to, because it was a better option than than what was given me. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, you know what? I, I'd like to get into something else here because it'll it'll it. transition into the women. Talk to me. And this is, um, you know, SwellNet.com has done a three-part series. Stu Nettles wrote it. It's a really good piece of journalism. It's called the ASP. It's on, but who's watching? And um, it started last year after the first third of the season. It went into the second third of the season, which was the second part of his series. And then it finished up about a month ago. Um, with the third part, and it basically is a breakdown of, of is the World Surf League going to be able to, to pull it off? Are they going to be able to financially make this thing happen? And they Stu based his um, his three part series on the fact that the World Surf League was using YouTube as their platform, and YouTube shows you how many people are watching. Like it's right there in front of you. There, there's no hiding the numbers. It is what it is, you know, and. Um, I spoke with um, somebody who's very close to the situation, and he said that it's easily uh, around $150 million to run the WSL each year. Wow. And he would suggest, he suggested to me that in 2014, the WSL lost $65 million. No way. Yeah. And, And I asked him, and I just, I asked him this just this morning. I asked him, well, you know, how long is it going to be? Are they going to be viable? 
Because Stu's article is based on this. Stu's article is based on if the WSL model is we need live eyeballs to monetize this thing, to be able to go to, say, Red Bull or whoever and go, we need a, you know, a $20 million package or whatever the number is, you know, if we can, we can't sell the product unless we have live eyeballs and a lot of them. And at that point, you know, the buyers would pony up. So that's what Stu is basing his whole article on. They're not going to be able to exist for five years unless the numbers go up. Because according to even Paul Speaker of the WSL, at the beginning of their entry, Zosi's entry into the space, they said, we need live eyeballs. And we've got upwards of, you know, 70 million surfers around the world that we're going to get. Right. Yeah, and, they set projections. And, and Stu's, based on the, what the YouTube viewership is, Stu's going, wow, they way underperformed. So how long is the money going to go? Like how long can this Ziff, the Ziff brothers who are financing this thing, even they, even billionaires have a limit to how long they can Otherwise they throw wouldn't money become at billionaires. That's and even, how they became and even beyond that, you know, like, like 65 million. Okay. Whatever. It's, you know, it's, it's not much to a multi-billionaire, but it's almost, it. their egos are as tied yeah. to this as much as anything. Like they don't want to be tied to something that's spiraling. Yeah. So Stu does a great job of breaking down the viewership. And um, I would urge you to go on to SwellNet and read the article. Um, hundred and the peak event last year, the peak number of viewers at one time, which is what they need to go sell this thing, right? Peak number of viewers, 118,000 at the Chopu event. So the Chopu final was the big hurrah, 118,000. And it drops very significantly for the remainder of the events. Although the pipeline event got a big spike, they reached 107,392 viewers at the peak. Now this is the peak. Understand that the average of these events is usually half of that. Totally. The low point on tour was the Margaret event, which got 30,000 viewers at its peak, which means 15 to 10 to 12 on any given day in round four. Wow. So it's not looking good. And, and um, some others go on to suggest that, you know, maybe we're measuring apples to oranges here, you know, like to compare it to, say, the NBA, which has 6 million viewers, you know, well, does Paul Speaker really expect 6 million or 10 million viewers? Well, he said he did, but now maybe they're changing their, the way they're thinking and maybe they can, because every time you and I like, let's say I want to watch Heats on Demand. Well, they have my email address now. If I go watch the NFL, the NFL doesn't have my email address. Right. So they've got some great power there that they can use to sort of data mine and to sort of package smaller um uh, marketing packages to to potential sponsors right. based on the fact that they've actually got quality leads rather than this big quantity of leads mm -hmm. like the NBA or the NFL. So again, I'm not here to poo-poo on the WSL. We all want them to succeed, but it certainly was a great read and it was sort of um, a bummer to see um, how bad the numbers were for 2014. So along those lines, uh, it looks like the ASP or WSL is no longer using the YouTube player, right? Right. Now, go ahead. If, no, uh, you, that's one of my stories. Well, you're right. I mean, the pay-per-view option, which we talked about in the last episode, has also sort of come to the limelight. Beach Grit did this little expose on the fact that, oh, if you tuned into YouTube to try to watch the Quicksilver Snapper Rocks around one, you were bummed out because 
you had to go to their website and they've got a new uh, distributor, New Lion, and they're the ones that are now taking the place of YouTube. You can still see YouTube stuff, I think. They post videos after the fact. Right, after the fact. It YouTube used to be stuff, But it's not live. And so Beach Crew was kind of going, why'd they do this? If they did do it, why didn't they tell everyone? They made a big deal out of telling us about the YouTube partnership, right. which was kind of not a big deal because anyone can stream on YouTube. Right, but they uh, phrased it as like a media partnership with YouTube. Now they've got this new line, which as you alluded to, um, Beach Grit sort of excavated it and they went onto the New Lion site and they have got this paywall. And um, New Lion distributes NFL, NBA, Ultimate Fighting, and NHL, all sorts of stuff. So the idea being, let's get them used to this. Like Beach Grit is assuming that WSL wants to get us used to this format and then pin us against the wall at some point on a pay-per-view model. Right. So um, here was... A- all, all, by the way total assumptions and just parking lot fodder at this point because the WSL by the way is horrible at communicating by the way can you track stats on New Lion or does it no that's the other thing is that Beach Crate basically kind of said look we think the reason or maybe it was Stu Nettles but somebody out there said look the reason we think that one of the reasons that they switch besides the pay-per-view model that could be in place at any time with the push of a button is that now nobody really knows how many people are watching because that free information from YouTube isn't out there. So I was in the car for day one of the snapper event. And normally I stream the contest on my phone when I'm in the car on YouTube, right? I tried to do that this time and it wouldn't allow it. And it said, um, you know, you need uh, Adobe, whatever upgrade. So I click over to get the upgrade and then it's like, oh, that's not supported on Apple devices. I was so frustrated. I had to drive from LA to Palm Springs right when the event started. And I'm like, I'm going to miss all the event. And I was planning my drive to watch the event, you know, sitting in traffic. Right. Not actually watch, of course. I'm a safe driver. But I have this position. I could prop my phone up on the dash where the odometer is. So I'm only ever looking a few degrees down to look at the event, mainly listening to the event. Now the authorities can bust you for bad driving and gambling. Handheld device (laughs) gambling. Um, So, but ultimately I figured out a workaround, which was like, if I went directly to the site and tried to play it, it wouldn't play. But for some reason, if I went through Twitter and clicked on a hyperlink from Twitter and it opened it up, Maybe it's a different browser that it's opening up other than Safari. I'm not exactly sure, but it would work that way. So I spent 20 minutes in utter panic and frustration trying to rearrange my Palm Springs trip. And then I finally worked it out and it was like all was well in the world. Wow. Used all my data. Well, that that is you know another thing that I think Beach Grit brought up, which was, you know, how does it make the guys at Samsung feel if all of a sudden David Lee Scales can't watch? The, That's my point. Yeah. You have to go get a third-party Adobe Flash installer. Right. And that's a pain in the ass. Absolutely. And I, I, so you're now eliminating viewers, the ones who actually really care. For the record, I um, clicked on a link off of their email press release on my phone. Okay. And it went to the worldsurfleague.com and I pushed play and I watched it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. And that's how I did it last night as well. So okay. I haven't had to download any third-party thing. Okay. On, well, an, on an Apple. Well, um, along WSL lines. By the way, um, some more insight into who's watching. Yes. um, From Stu Nettles' article. The the Men's World Tour, um, the audience is split into four major markets. The biggest market, what do you think it is? Australia. Brazil. Hmm. Brazil's their biggest market. 
Number two is the United States. Number three is Europe. Number four is Australia. All four of those roughly 20%. Brazil's probably like 24, United States 21, 19, 18, right in there, right? Um, actually, Australia is closer to 15% right. of, of the viewership. Japan has 7%, and the rest of the world is the remaining 13% there. And notably of that, that's South Africa, you would think would be a big surf country. Um, they're way down there at the bottom in the, in the remaining, quote-unquote, remaining yeah. market share. Hmm. And by the way, we wanted to segue this into women's viewership is horrible. Is it? Yeah. According to the YouTube stuff that Stu Nettles dug up, the women's thing is just like atrocious. Wow. Like really bad. Well, like 2,000 viewers. Well, you don't even have a women's fantasy team. No. I, I <laughs> you know, no. All right. Well, along the lines of WSAL failures, uh, did you hear that Makua Rothman is the current big wave world champion? I did. And, and, that is kind of a failure in my eyes. Uh, um, it's a huge failure. You know, you just can't have a world champion with one event. It, two, it speaks, two events. It speaks to the problem of, and you and I have talked about it. Um, interestingly, those Stu Nettles articles, there was a, some pretty good viewership relative to the other tour. Yeah. I want to say there was like, I would suggest actually that the readers go and look at it because I don't want to misrepresent the numbers. But the Big Wave World Tour, one of the stops got some viewership, like 30,000, you know, okay. which is more than Margaret River, right. you know. But only that's well, the peak at the high point of, you know, Nick yeah. Lamb getting his great wave or whatever. Okay, so here's the deal. There's six events in the Big Wave World Tour, three in the Southern Hemisphere, three in the Northern Hemisphere. But this year, only two events ran. So um, Makua was the leader going into this sixth event not knowing if it would run or not, the event didn't run, so then they just deem him the winner. But it's very anticlimactic to just not run a final event to determine the winner. So Makua competed in both events. He won one. He placed second in the other. <coughs> Shout out to Makua. This yeah. is Yeah, Makua's no, amazing. But even in the article that I found, I went on worldsurfleague.com, looked in the news column on the right, and it's like Makua wins Big Wave World Tour. Oh, okay, cool. I clicked that, open it. Literally, there was 250 words, maybe 300 words, explaining the whole thing to me. That's it. All they're devoting to this monumental event, one of their key tours, is 250 words. So I think that says something about how much they care and how much they are invested in this, if that's all the information that they're going to give me. Well, I think that they're listening to us and realizing, look, the big wave play for them is the double XL. And they should have all energies going towards that. And all the athletes, the Makuas of the world, all these guys that are on this big wave world tour should be focused on hunting down the 60, the 70, the 80, the 100 foot wave and, and scrape the big wave world tour from the package and just make the whole thing the double XL big wave world tour somehow. Right. And, and, and you, you announce the champion of the world big wave world tour at the double XL awards. And it's based on photographic evidence of who caught the biggest wave, right? Not necessarily, you know, who caught a 15 foot mushy wave in Spain or yeah. whatever, you know? Well, there's so much, uh, ab abstract kind of things happening all over the place at different times. It's very difficult to put, reins on that activity and put boundaries on it and try to make it fit within this very predictable, measurable science. It just doesn't. 
let the guys go out there and catch their best waves and document it, and then we'll review the. Footage. Yeah, and let everybody be on the big wave world tour. Yeah. Every big wave surfer in the world, exactly. you know, all these guys that you well, see these amazing photos of, they should be the big wave world champion. That's the thing. Makua entered this season as a wild card, so yeah. he wasn't even on the tour. Yeah, you know, so. Anyway, it's it's just it's a tough you know I know there's a lot of hardworking people on the Big Wave World Tour. They're friends of mine. I mean, Gary Linden's a very good guy. I'm not trying to poo-poo the Big Wave World Tour, but at the end of the day, this is the way the WSL is looking at it. Mm-hmm. Are we making money here? Yeah, because we're in the money-making business. Yep. You know, get let's just cut to the chase. How can we best serve the surfers, serve the tour, serve the fans? And it's through the w, the double XL, right. which they own. I agree. One thing listeners need to look at, and I'll post it on surfsplendorpodcast.com, which was Makua Rothman's final ride at Pico Alto on July 3rd in the event that he won. He gets this right that's pretty freaking remarkable. I'm, I don't know if he got a 10. I assume that he did. But... It's like a free fall drop on his tippy toes, like crazy wave. So I'll post that. It's worth seeing. Well, um, as we segue into the cartel management at, um, which is running Mavs, I guess there's been some real sour uh, tastings regarding the management and some of the surfers and when you some say of the locals. Running Mavs, you're talking about the Titans of Mavericks Titans event. of Mavericks, thank you. The yeah, wave so, event. The cartel management, which took over the Mavericks event, they rebranded it, Titans of Mavericks. A big story came out in the Half Moon Bay review. Um, Basically, the honeymoon has turned sour, as I mentioned. Many of the stakeholders uh, have begun publicly denouncing the cartel management and its practices. Body Glove, the title sponsor from last year's Mavericks contest, they're suing cartel management in Los Angeles Superior Court, alleging company the company violated Body Glove's three-year contract. Meanwhile, behind the scenes there, locals involved in the contest are alleging that the company is reneging on other agreements, including a pledge to let the Mavericks contest continue as a fundraiser for local nonprofits, which includes the local Boys and Girls Club. Another group railing against the Mavericks organizers this year includes two of the contest's most ardent fans, and that's acclaimed Mavericks photographers Frank Corte, excuse me, and Doug Acton, who have made public their outrage over failed contract negotiations with cartel management. Even before the contract negotiations started, relations were testy between these two camps. Following an opening ceremony last year, Doug Acton said nearly Doug Acton said he nearly came to blows with cartel executives at a late night party after they dismissed Half Moon Bay as a bunch of hillbillies. Now, this article goes on to basically say that the contract that cartel management is offering the two photographers is a pittance. It's a joke. And um, and things aren't looking good for uh the Titans of Mavericks and this cartel management, an event, by the way, that just seems to be sort of shadowed with, with bad juju. Like they can, for eight years, they've failed to sort of live up to it all. When you're looking at getting into business with a company called cartel, that may be the first warning sign. Yeah. That's, that's a, a kind of a hideous name. Yeah. That's not good. Cartels generally aren't, there aren't generally good cartels. <laughs> the cartel of cotton candy dispensary, you know, like, no, it's always bad things. Um, anyway, who, who's behind the, cartel? 
Oh, Do you have any guy, idea? Yeah, Griffin Gas. Is that somebody we know? Is he from he's, the surf he's world? Some, no, I don't. I mean, I'm sure he surfs. Um, he's some big hitter Hollywood guy. He's married to Marissa Miller, the supermodel, Sports Illustrated model. He, I think cartel management probably does a bunch of stuff in the entertainment industry, the music industry. I don't really know, but it's obvious that, that they, <clears throat> excuse me, they don't have the best, uh, the surfer's best interest at heart here. Right. Interesting. Bummer. Um, so I got an email from a listener, George, <clears throat> George Towers, who I... I know I've gotten an emails from him in the past. I think he might be in the UK, but he sent me an email regarding an issue in Morocco with a particular wave known as boilers. Yeah. Do you know, you know, Morocco. Yeah. I've surfed boilers. Surfing? Have you really? Yeah. How is it? It's a good wave. Yeah. Super good wave. Super fun. Well, the, it, boilers is kind of this right point break. And apparently they're developing a desalination plant right near boilers. Oh, wow. And they're blocking access to surfers. So, George said the desalination plant is much needed actually in the region. That's not being questioned at all. And they're going to provide a lot of safe drinking water for the region. So surfers are in full support of the desalination plant, but they needn't block surfers. Like there's armed guards. They're not allowing surfers to go surf this spot. So um, there's a French website that has a petition to prevent the blockage of uh, surfing that beach. They need 3,000 signatures. And as of this morning, they only had 2,100. Our listeners alone could bump it up well, yeah, well above the 3,000. Yeah, let's get that link out to our people. I've got the, I've got the link. I'm going to post it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And I encourage you to just sign it. It's basically you put in your email address and click a button, and that accounts as a signature. It's in French, but you can translate the page. Well, it's been a couple of years uh, since I've been to Morocco, quite a few, probably five or six. But um, as I recall, boilers is there's a series of right-hand points that kind of sweep in all the way into the little surf town there. Um, What's this? Is it Agadir, I think? Yeah, that might be it. Um, Anyway... Boilers is the outside point. Like once you get beyond boilers, you go into this series of sort of um, mild cliffside reef breaks. But so you've got boilers and then you've got probably three miles of different breaks all the way into this big bay that ends up at Anchor Point down there. Anchor Point, sort of the last real point um, inside the inside the bay there so you've got this large bay boilers out the back and then a bunch of great waves all the way till you get to anchor point which is really the premier wave anchor point sort of like swamis and rincon put together with snapper rocks on the inside the sandbar that just runs off super super high quality wave but uh so it's really a sad thing that they would do it there you know that could cause problems all the way down the bay apparently there aren't going to be any problems it's just a matter of they won't let surfers through this area, you know, that they're building the plant at. So uh, maybe that's a good thing, you know, because I, I know surfers, the smart ones will figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you surf know, with fewer people. in the Yeah. Lineup. But it's, it's not super crowded area anyway. Right. I mean, well, shout out to the listener for sending that. And that's the thing. A lot of these emails and stuff we get from listeners, they have more insight into the issues than we oh, do. Oh, for sure. So it's really cool that people actually. No, we're send just two guys stuff. that plugged in a computer. Exactly. Um, what do you got? You want to well, look, you know, we touched a little bit on this last episode, but I want to talk about it a little bit more and, and kind of excavate it more. And, you know, we, we talk about 
you know, the Mavericks event having problems. We're talking about the women's tour having problems. We're talking about the possibility of the WSL not being able to to live up to its hope. Not its hype, but its hope. And and that's a real possibility. And God forbid it happens because we all want the WSL to succeed. But it got me thinking, what if it does fail? Like, what's going to take its place and what's it going to look like? And then I thought, well, what did what would be the perfect fan experience for David and Scott and for the rest of the listeners? So I'd like for you and I to sort of touch on this. I'm going to bring up some points, what I think would be a really good way to do it. You know, just, just purely from a selfish fan standpoint, um, a potential perfect situation for fans is we have events at really prime spots. So let's say the first events at cloud break and you have three rounds um, the cloud break round is round one. Okay. So you, you take nine surfers, right? I've got nine surfers. I've got Kelly, John John Florence, Gabe Medina, Julian Wilson, Jordy Smith, Nat Young, Dusty Payne, Mick Fanning, and Joel Parkinson. Matt, Matt Banning. <laughs> no rookies and no buttercups. So I've got my nine surfers, right? Three of those surfers go into round one, which is a cloud break. Okay. Of these three surfers, they surf for two hours and two of them advance onto the next round. So again, round one has three heats. The first round, excuse me, round one has one heat. I'm not doing a very good job. You're laughing at me. So you've got- It looks like you're just making this up for the first time. No, 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 I'm reading it, but I, I I didn't write it very well, apparently. So- We've got one event at Cloud Break. It's got three surfers in it. Two surfers advance. That takes three hours. We've got 30 minutes of pregame. We've got a two-hour heat. We've got 30 minutes of postgame. And that's the only event for the month. Then the next heat is at where? J-Bay. Let's just say it's a J-Bay. Three other, three other surfers of those nine. Three other surfers. Two advance. The next heat is at Snapper. You've got three other surfers, two advance. So you've got, now you've had the nine surfers have surfed. Of those nine, six are remaining. So you've got six surfers left. You do two more rounds. Let's say you do one at Chopu. You've got two surfers in the water. One advances. You've got another one at some other world-class wave, let's say Rincon. You've got two surfers in the water, or excuse me, three surfers in the water, two advance, and you've got one more. Did I do that right? No, there's just two more. So sorry, there's two more. You're all Should we edit this whole section and you can just do a take two? This no. is taking five minutes. It should take 30 seconds. I get it. But at the end of the... Best this, surfers and the best waves in the world for a limited period of time. Right, but, but there's pumping. only nine surfers that are involved. It starts off with three-man heats, two advance, and they're, and the three guys are at one spot, three guys are at another spot, and three guys are at another spot. Two advance, that leaves six, Right. And then you do it again at some other. Basically, it's an all. It lasts basically six months. Yeah. Because one heat is one month at one spot. Yeah. It takes one month for the waves to get good. You get a one sure. month waiting period or whatever. Sure. And then at the end, you've got a man on man heat in a super final. It's called the Ultimate Surf League Shred Fest One, just like UFC Fight Club. 
hosted by Scott Bass. <laughs> I did such a horrible job at breaking that down. <laughs> How long you been doing this? I should have rewritten. Welcome it. to the show, dude. First time. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I like the concept. I think your point is well received, which is just. Let's get the best surfers. Let's do heavyweight competitions, best 10 surfers in the best waves in the world. You know. And they just move on. The they just keep advancing until you, the fluff. until you get to a superheat. The only superheats at pipeline, two guys, two hours. So one of each my each event can be done in a day, less than a day. So but that leaves, I think, a little bit more room to extract, you know, meat off the bone, which is what if the waves are great tomorrow as well? I still would like to see the best surfer surf out there. I don't know what to tell you. Here's the other problem. That's not a problem though, because because from a production standpoint, you got to love the idea that we're packaging a four a three hour event to you, Red Bull, and here it is. And yeah, if the waves are great, so what? I mean, the waves are great right now. I'm not necessarily going. Oh, I'd love you know like yeah. Plus, if there's this idea, this sense of scarcity from a fan's perspective, you're like super psyched to see your two hours. Well, then you get that once a month. Well, that's how the Big Wave World Tour works. And how's that worked out as the viewer? Well, the big waves are a different thing. I mean, they are, but I'm just saying I mean, that's right the now, model that they I, right use. Right now, I could send three guys into a heat in Australia. There's a massive swell in like Tasmania. You understand what I'm saying is you no, can, I don't because the big wave world tour is all day long. This is two hours. Not even all day all, long. It's six hours, and there are a limited number of guys. There's only three it's, guys in my thing. I understand. It's a closer, sometimes there's only two guys. But what I'm saying is it's a closer. Uh, comparison to what you're talking about, and I'm not I think s- it's apples and oranges, though. Is it to say that the big wave world tour is failing, and then therefore this would fail? Which is sort no, of that's what you're not saying. what I'm saying. What I'm just saying? saying look at that the way that that exists and see how it, how it works well and how it doesn't, and apply that to your model. And I think you can get a more accurate comparison. It's apples and oranges are both fruit, by the way. <laughs> so they're in the same category. We're not talking apples and steak, which are both food, by the way. Maybe apples and cars. Would apples be are red, can be green. Oranges are generally orange. There's like 20 types of apples. So maybe it's apples and apples. It's Macintosh versus Granny Smith. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I love my idea. I do too. No, I like it. I wish I had, uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I can break it down better. No, that was great pod, dude. Did you get it? Can, tell, me, tell me what I said. I don't want to go over this again. Come on. No. Why not? No. You're not into this? No, I am. I think it's great. I already went over it. Where's round one? Cloud break. Three, one heat, three surfers. How many advance? Uh, two. Where's the next round? Uh, in your example, J-Bay. How many surfers? Three surfers, How two many advance. advance. Okay. I got it, dude. It's fine. We don't have to go over this. Uh, do you have must-see moment, Kook and Wow. Dude? <laughs> what, are you in a hurry to get out of here? Yeah, dude. We're, we started okay. 30 minutes late. I'm All way right. behind. Oh, right. oh, sorry. Yeah, I do have a kook and a duke. What about must-see moment? Oh, uh, yeah. My no, must-see don't. moment is is uh, the Ultimate Craftsman Project presented by Visla. I just put out a, a an explanation video. Really well-edited, compelling. Explanation video. Yeah, great. That tells you about the upcoming Ultra, uh, Ultimate Craftsman Project. You can find that video on the Boardroom Show's YouTube channel or uh, at theboardroomshow.com or on the Inertia. I would say downthelineradio.com would be or, the first place you should or go. Or down the line. My point is it's everywhere. It is. It's everywhere. It's taking over the internet. That's my musty uh, moment. Go check that out. 
By find the way, out what, what is, the Ultimate Craftsman project is. Do you want to tease it a little bit? What What is the Ultimate Craftsman project? It's four craftsmen, each building a unique surfboard with their own two hands from start to finish, all steps of the process. And um, it's going to be videotaped. It is being videotaped. And we're going to be um, sort of leaking out those videos to the public so they can see the build process of each of these craftsmen and each of these four boards. And then we're going to unveil the finished products at the boardroom show May 16th and 17th at Del Mar. And the, there's going to be uh, judges. They're going to um, deem the uh, best surfboard and the ultimate craftsman for 2015. I don't want to reveal too much, but I've witnessed one of these boards being built from the initial stages all the way until finished stage. I'm blown away. I've seen I've seen probably 30 surfboards or so built, you know, over and this gave me a brand new appreciation for the craft. This thing is way more beautiful than any board I've ever seen before. It is a work of art. Is it rideable? It is. I would love to ride this. Yeah, cuz that's important. I These aren't supposed love. to be wall hangers. These need to be riders. No, this thing it's a work of art that you you'd be inclined to put it on your wall because it's so beautiful, but I'm enticed to pull it off the wall and go shred. Yeah, we need to ride these things. Dude, the thing's incredible. Although the one you're talking about and the guy you're talking about, I don't think he wants it waxed up because uh, I've talked to him about it. Oh, maybe. I I actually haven't talked about <laughs> it. Um, so my must-see moment actually was sent to me from multiple different sources. I saw it on the news randomly. It's like taking over the internet. Slurpy waves, okay? I saw these this imagery and I was like, well, that's really interesting. So I click and open it up. Lo and behold, the photographer of this stuff is one of our listeners who's emailed us in the past. I've had a couple email exchanges with him. The guy became an internet sensation overnight based on these images that he took. He's a surf photographer out of Nantucket Island off the coast of Massachusetts. His name's Jonathan Nimmerfro, I believe is the way that you pronounce his name. And he was basically, they're having the coldest spell that they've had in like 81 years in Nantucket. And he went for a walk on the beach and noticed that the ocean looked frozen. Like, I think he said 100 yards out or something where it was just like placid and it looked different. He's like, what the heck? The ocean's frozen? I've never seen that before. Well, there was about a three foot swell running. And so the swell kind of worked its way through the frozen part onto the uh, closer to shore where it brought some of the ice with it. And it, it was like perfect barreling three foot waves that brought some of this broken ice. So it has this slushy, you know, partially frozen texture to it. And he took, he's a surf photographer. And so he took images of these perfect barreling slurpy waves and um, set the internet afire, basically. I've never seen anything like it. He, uh, I emailed him. I was like, I asked him a few, couple questions. I said, number one, how many Instagram followers did you have before this happened? And they ran your thing on, they ran a half page for him on the New York Times um, in print and of course online. Um, Good Morning America published or ran a story on him. Tony Hawk Instagrammed a photo out. And Jonathan said, Tony Hawk, he's been a fan of Tony Hawk since he was a kid, used to have posters of Tony Hawk, so it was a huge deal. And Tony Hawk started following him on Instagram. But anyways, he started out with 1,500 Instagram followers before he published those photos. It jumped to 14,000 in four days. 
in the thick of it, he was gaining 300 followers an hour. Rad. He would just like refresh it and see hundreds. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, he sat down on Saturday night and watched it click over from 9,999 followers to 10,000. Um, we'll post links to all of his work, but you can also follow it at jdnphotography.com and nantucket-salt.com. Uh, he said he's received a lot of business from it. Um, so he's really, really happy and psyched. And he's always wanted to be a professional surf photographer, but had a lot of limitations living in Nantucket. And this has opened some amazing doors for him. So shout out to our listener, Jonathan and um, JDN Photography. Well, cool. I And you're, you know, I'm like you. Um, I have landlocked relatives that sent me the photos too that normally, you know, that that saw it. And I think that speaks to sort of the mainstream mojo that Jonathan got. So good for Jonathan. I'm stoked. Beautiful work too. Yeah, man. Uh, Kook and Duke. My Duke Kahanamoku is uh, a group of guys, Mark Chambers, Ken Cadigan and lifeguard Kaleo Amadeo and all of the Maui surfers who helped that grieving mother from Germany honor her son, Johansson by um, providing her and her son with that, memorial paddle out that i talked about earlier so those guys tons of aloha certainly representative of duke kahanamoku no uh arguing with that that's amazing definite dukes in my book um my duke is a female duke silvana lima do you know why just because she shredded the living crap out of it dude did uh, apparently did you watch that that i think you sent me a text that said she was shredding unbelievable like Silvana Lima, by the way, rags to riches. Like she was on the world tour back in the day. She got booted off. She's been off for years. I think she might be the oldest competitor even on the women's world tour because she requalified this past year. Doesn't have a sponsor. So she kind of worked her way through the QS events, traveling as we've told stories like this before, when you don't have a sponsor, how expensive it is. She's from Brazil. Um, so she just self-funded her way, requalified. And everybody said she surfs good and she's in the free surfs everybody knows. And she even has said, I'm here to win this thing. I'm not here to just make a name for myself. I'm here to win it. And she's I, not soft. I no, she is not soft. Using the other, you know, example from earlier. Last year I kind of called her out. She did some airs during a qualifying event in Oceanside and people fell in love. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. and they're like, Oh, they're women are doing aerials, and I'm like First of all, they weren't that great, and it's kind of patronizing to act like it's a big deal when it wasn't that big, that cool of an air. Any 10-year-old NSSA Grom does airs like that. Well, I stand corrected now because her surfing is on a whole new level. Not only airs, she's doing these crazy power turns, which I literally watched one of them, and I go, whoa, that looks like Dusty's turn from earlier in the event. How's her style? Her style's not great, but it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. She does in um, one of the free surfs that the WSL posted a video of. She does a club sandwich turn, which is that Josh Kerr, Dane Reynolds does them too, where it's like going up into the lip, grabbing the rail, and then doing like a big fin blow air reverse, but your body's kind of still un- under you. Yeah. It's like almost an upside down through yeah. the lip tail blow, yeah. grabbing the Didn't rail. did Dusty do one of those in his heat? I don't remember if Dusty yeah. did. 
Um, but Dane's known for him. Josh Kerr's known for him. And Silvana Lima does one. It's like, and it's good. Felipe does one. It's, yeah, yeah, it's legit. It's an upside down rail grab through the lip blow tail yeah. turn. She does one. It's legit. Her airs are legit. Her power's legit. I'm blown away by Silvana Lima. I'm okay, claiming. So Silvana Lima and Buttercup Banning, those are your. Those are your hanging that's... my hat on them, dude. <laughs> dude, I would Who's not. Who's better? Not Stephanie. Silvana took no, no. out Who, Stephanie. Who's Gilmore. better, Buttercup or Silvana Lima? Ooh, if they went toe to toe. I don't know. Buttercup. I don't know. My worlds are colliding here. These are the. This is the stuff I dream about when I go to sleep at night. By the like, way, what if Matt Banning and Silvana Lima got? What, what? what if they made a baby and they had this super, <laughs> like like a like a Buttercup baby? Oh, it'd be amazing. What, what did you 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 said something about Pat Parnell in a. And an Instagram or a tweet or something. Did I? Wasn't it you? I don't know. Somebody said, thank God Pat Parnell's not in the booth this year. That was me. Yeah, yeah. you're right. That was me. And what about this new girl? How about it? What's Chelsea Cannell. Chelsea Cannell, yeah. I'm a fan. Yeah, I am too. She's kind of pro. Yeah. Well, she was at the Honolulu event. That's when I saw her this last year. And I was like, whoa, this chick's awesome. She's super professional. Yeah. Really comfortable too. Yeah, she, you know? she knows what she's doing. Yeah, totally. I Chelsea think she's and Rosie. See, that, that's a good move. From the WSL standpoint, two beautiful people that are professional at what they do. Smart, well spoken. Tell you what, there's some still some guys that need to be trimmed from that thing that are just horrible. Name them. I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but okay. well, I think we all know who they are. Here's the guys who can stay. Yeah, thanks. Ross Williams, yeah. Ronnie Blakey. Yeah. Those guys are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, where's the, Where's Todd Klein? By the way, I thought he was great. I don't know. Todd should be in there. Though. Todd should be in there. But he wasn't at every event last year either, so they he's, might cycle He's on the, the um, bass tour. like He's I a know. professional bass fisherman, which is kind of cool. Here's one of my other highlights of this event so far. The Roxy commercials. Oh, yeah, with Stephanie and, and Rosie running. There's Stephanie, there's Rosie, there's uh, Monica Byrne Wiki, yeah, among pretty. my favorites. Not only are they pretty, it's not hypersexualized no, at all. It's, it's actually subtle, athletic, but they're awesome because they put these commercials on repeat. I literally saw that commercial Four times in the first 20 minutes, I counted. First 20 minutes of the event of round one, heat one. And I was like, because I hate that they run the commercials over and over and the songs that they use become just gnawing on my brain. And I mute it. As soon as the commercial comes on, I hit the mute button and wait till the contest comes back on. But with the Roxy commercials, I'm like You're glued. Down. I'm glued, glued to the TV. So I'm a fan. Uh, final thing, kook. My kook of the week. All right. Dean Morrison. <laughs> Do you know why? Yeah, because because the burn of the year, he the burn that guy drop so of the year. hard, dude. Yeah, and I saw this video, but then I got an email from listener uh, Craig Alsep in New South Wales sending it to me and goes, "Dude, I think this might be the kook." I fully agree. Cyclone Mar- uh, Marsha, I guess, is what it was. Hit the Gold Coast. Unfortunately, a week before this event, the Snapper event, sent the best waves we've ever seen to Kira, and. Um, Guys were just getting shacked forever. This one no-name guy takes off on a burner, and Dean Morrison just blatantly smokes the guy and gets like a 15-second barrel and gets blown out the end. And based on internet fodder, which we all know is always true, uh, Dean Morrison is known for burning dudes left and right ever since he was a grum. Yeah. Kook of the week, Dean Morrison. All right. Who I've had as a duke in the past because the guy rips. But, Dinga. But... Uh, my kook of the week is the World Surf League Communications Department. Mm. Yes, Dave Proden, Amy Deenan, Will Hayden Smith for 
not returning emails. I have been um, trying to get the real story out there regarding um, what's happened with their new distribution um, YouTube partner. New Lion. Yeah, New Lion. Like, I was just kind of going, what's going on? You know, why did you do that? I asked one simple question and um, I have yet to get a response from anybody. At the, I think I must be on their um, do, do not, not respond yeah. list. But, um, you know, as a former um, editor over at Surfer Magazine, you think that those guys would just do the right thing professionally and just simply send back an email that said, Scott, you know what, we're not allowed to talk about it or whatever. But my point is, if you're not professional, if you can't give us a little bit of insight, then we're just going to sit here and make assumptions. And it's more often than not, I'm probably going to be wrong. And but everybody's going to hear about it and everyone's going to run with it. And so their silence to me is a sign of defensiveness and defensiveness breeds guilt. And I think they'd be doing themselves a favor to just open up to us a little bit, at least at least the professional lines of communication saying, hey, Scott, you know, blah, blah, whatever, you know, just I don't think that's too much to ask. No, I'm not, not. I'm not asking for the courtesy. world. Common professional courtesy. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. Um, I've got a question for you. I would like for you to respond honestly to. Yes. When we started off this episode, I said, did you bring a kook and duke? You said, yes, I did. Then you told went through surf news with a bunch of topics. And then when it was time for kook and duke you recycled two conversations that we've had throughout that's, this show. That's what we're supposed to do. I thought you were supposed to bring a separate kook and duke. No, no, just a couple of times ago, you said that that's what you do all the time, that you refer to kooks and dukes. From my show notes. Right. But I take them out of the regular part of the show. When I'm preparing for the show, I find all these topics, figure out which would be hey, the wait, best Let's back up even duke. further. Whose concept is this? <laughs> this is my concept. I created Duke and Kook, so I'm going to tell you how it's done. Hey. And these guys are both Dukes and Kooks. Let's let's ask the listeners. I think I've Hell taken no, don't over let the, the Duke and Kooks. The Kook. lunatics cannot run the asylum, my friend. You're calling our listeners lunatics? Yes. Yes, I'm, I am. <laughs> I'm just saying, at the beginning of the You're show... You're going to butter up to them, aren't you? No. Buttercup? They see it how it is. <laughs> Look, um... I think that the WSL communications department are kooks for not responding to my email. And I think that these guys on Maui are dukes for doing such a great thing and spreading the good aloha. Can't argue that. Yeah. In fact, you said so. You said as much. You said you couldn't argue with it. Uh, and now you're arguing with it. Uh, I'll let the viewers, <laughs> let the listeners decide. They all know okay. who the true owner, the new owner <laughs> of the Duke and Kook franchise is. Fair enough. All right. What about, Sign us off, What dude. about Parco and his... You want to talk about it while no. I go to the restroom? No. All right. We're all done. We'll bring that up later. All right. Okay. Well, uh, until next time, um, let's see. You can get a hold of David at hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. That's his email. Hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. And my email for the show, surftalksandiego at gmail.com. And my website, downthelineradio.com. So you can catch the show there or on iTunes by doing a search for down the line surf talk until next time adios and aloha you told your mother told your sister told your best friend the way you started was the way that you make it end speculation of what might be pretty soon is the reality and there you have another brand new episode of Surf Splendor, still using my inside voice. 
And thank you for tuning in. I always appreciate that. And of course, thank you in advance for sharing this show with a friend. Last week's episode, I think, would be a perfect starting point for sharing Surf Splendor. It was a show called What Box? Thinking Outside the Traditional Lines of Surfboard Design. And it featured conversations with Tom Morey, the inventor of the boogie board, Carl Ekstrom, who's a pioneer in surfboard design, a couple cameos, one with Donald Brink, who we've had on this show, one with Paul Strau, who's got, I mean, he's the inventor of the Cheater 5, you know, the, the Cheater Hang 5 longboard maneuver back in the day. So super interesting people, but also just a good introductory episode, kind of mind opening, just how to think more philosophically about design. And really, I think Tony Roberts, photographer, commented on our website just that, you know, how could you not... How could your mind not be expanded after listening to that episode? Whether or not you go and start implementing your own designs, you at least will have more consideration and thoughtfulness towards what is under your feet and what other people are writing. So I really enjoyed that episode and I enjoyed getting to hear from, you know, such important icons of our sport and just of hydrodynamic design period. So check that out and then also make sure to share that with friends. That is the main point of what I just said. All right. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with a really cool conversation that I really enjoyed with somebody whose work I really enjoyed. So we can look forward to that early next week. And until then, this is your host of Surf Splendor, David Scales, saying, Shred On.